Hello and welcome to the Global City Missions podcast. Podcast is hosted by Global City Mission Initiative. This is Seth Bouchel, GCMI's team leader in New York. And today we're sitting down again with Manny Dominguez, uh, talking about things I wish I knew. How are you doing, Manny? What's up, baby? I'm good. So, Manny, this is a series that we like to do with anybody that comes in on the podcast. Uh, and it was prompted by a training I did a number of years ago with some new missionaries in New York. And one of the guys in the training said, you know, if you were in our position starting over, what do you know now that you wish you'd known? And I think it's an important question for really anybody who's been in ministry, because I think with ministry, you can teach skills, you can teach principles. It's really hard to teach perspective. Mm. That comes with time, that comes with experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and so a lot of times the most valuable thing that you learn in years of ministry is not necessarily how to do something or, uh, you know, a, a particular lesson plan or theme or something, but it's, it's things you learn through hard knocks. Mm-hmm. Uh, so give us a little bit of background in your ministry first, then I want to ask you that question. But tell tell everybody what you know. What do you do? What have you done? What, what's your kind of ministry timeline? Sure. So uh, I'm 25 years old. I am currently one of the student pastors at the Hills Church here in North Richland Hills, Texas. Uh, I was born and raised in New York City, Washington Heights, to be specific, which is an area in Upper Manhattan that I love, full of Dominicans and diversity and dancing and culture and food and. Uh, I did not grow up in a Christian home at all. I'm the youngest of three siblings. And when I was 13 years old, I was rocking around Washington Heights because that's what you do in the summer. You walk around, you you play dominoes, you dance, yeah. you eat, you play sports. Yeah. And it was a Sunday afternoon <laughs> yeah. in New York City, 2008. And I was about to turn 14. And there's so many people coming out of this theater. And I asked somebody, what's going on in that theater, United Palace Theater on 175th? Yeah. And he says, oh, no, we just had church. And as a Dominican kid that grew up loosely Catholic, I was like, church? Like people coming out dressed like me, looked like me, happy, you know, young. I'm like, that's like my whole paradigm of church was absolutely shifted. And anyway, that same guy, I gave him my number because he was big and strong and scary. And so every (laughs) week, Seth, he called me every Sunday for six weeks. I say, no. I said, no, please stop calling me. I'm not doing it. I'm happy. I'm fine. And apparently on week seven or eight, I said, okay, I'll come. And I've never been the same. So when I was 15, I started working at at an organization called Operation Exodus. I know Exodus, yeah. And uh, I was working with inner city kids. We did a worship time. We helped them with homework. You know, a lot of them come from homes where their parents don't speak English. And so cannot help them with homework. So we, we taught lessons, did tutoring the whole bit. And... My third year there, I was 16 or 17, this church, the Hills Church, came over to New York on, on a mission effort, and they actually helped us for a week in that summer. And I hit it off with the students and with the pastors from here. And anyway, a couple years after that, I uh, you know forgot about the Hills Church. I love them, but forgot about that. Forgot about Operation Exodus. I started a dance company at this point called Brave Movement. And the mission of Brave Movement uh, was to create a quality that dance experience that promoted uh, intentional living community and self-expression, something like that. Yeah. And uh, we did that. We did that well, Seth. I mean, every weekend we met on tool seventh and Inwood and it okay, was right there off the 12, right right? There off the 12 <laughs> baby, right there. <laughs> kind of right by where we had coffee. Yeah. Not terribly far. Yep. Right and uh, we, I mean, we started by giving free classes and at the end of every class, our choreographers, you know, most of which love Jesus, some didn't, but it was awesome. We asked all of the attendees, what makes you brave? Because the name was Brave Movement. And people would respond and 
I mean, without missing a beat, our choreographers will say, well, for me, it's Jesus, and this is why. And so it was such a cool, and dare I say, in New York City, we say dope. Uh, <laughs> such a dope experience because it wasn't a you come to church to meet Christ. It was you come, be you, let's dance, and hopefully you experience something that you haven't experienced that yeah. week or that month or perhaps in your life. And so we did Brave Movement for a couple of years, and then I got the call from the Hills Church, that same pastor that I met when I was 16. He said, man, we're looking for a high school pastor. Are you interested? And uh, I've been here three years now. So that's kind of my, my life and ministry the last decade. Yeah. So you go from being a student volunteer leader, basically. 100%. To running your own pretty highly contextualized dance evangelistic ministry mm-hmm. to doing cross-cultural ministry as a kid from the Heights <laughs> in a predominantly Anglo megachurch yep. in Dallas. Yep. A lot of different contexts, mm-hmm. diverse set of experiences. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm interested as a looking at that entire tenure in ministry. Yes. What do you know now that you wish you'd known then? <sighs> Starting over. Yeah. It would definitely be uh, ministry is hard to quantify. Mm. Success in ministry is hard to quantify, but the effort that you put in always needs to be quality. Meaning, in all those different contexts, throughout this decade of ministry, uh, I wish I knew, even starting here at the Hills three years ago, that there was going to be times where I'm insecure because, you know, my my three points in my message weren't as uh, eloquent and didn't rhyme, you know? <laughs> and, uh, yeah. I wish I knew that, that there was those moments, but then that those moments are coupled with the Holy Spirit still showing up and, you know, the the response and and the life change that would happen would be sometimes even more, uh, more profound than the times that I prepared some of my my best messages and had some of my best sermon illustrations. So that's what, that's what I I wish I knew then that I knew now is success is hard to quantify because people are always on the journey, including us. However, if I'm always giving 110% and I'm always surrendering to the Holy Spirit, it will always be quality work. Yeah, no, I, that resonates with me because I know one of the things that... I bet it does. Well, yeah, <laughs> yeah, sure does. But, you know, I think there's a couple of things that are true about ministry broadly, but especially mission work. I say especially that's just my bias because it's what I do. Yeah. Um, and one is, you know, what you measure is what you actually end up caring about. Yes, that's um, so good. And so it, you need to be really wise and discerning in what metrics you hold yourself to. Absolutely. Because it becomes the way that you judge the ministry. Absolutely. I think the other one, the related point, and I say this on our staff a lot, you can only control efforts, you can't control outcomes. Mm-hmm. And so if, if your ministry is evaluated by what outcomes you produce, well, all of a sudden your ministry is evaluated by something you have no control over. Right. Uh, so good. Talk to me about that. Uh, and I would be interested in the contrast between the context you've worked in. Yeah. How, how do you evaluate ministry healthily? Uh, how have your changes in context changed the way you evaluate your ministry? So brilliant. I love what you said too. What you measure is that's, that, that was so brilliant. Um, it's kind of ambiguous, right? Because, and that's why I think it's been hard my three years here because at this mega church, we, we do a pretty good job of not measuring success by the amount of people show up. Right. Because, you know, all you, like you said, all you can control is 
preparing, you know, pretty good messages and, you know, trying to preach God's word and, you know, being true to follow up and making the phone calls. But if they don't pick up, I mean, Seth, I just shared my story at the beginning of this podcast. This guy called me every week for about two months. What if he stopped a month in? He had every right, says a month after calling this kid, oh, forget this guy, I'll just keep praying. Yeah. He kept calling me for two months, Seth, and, and look where I am now for the glory of God. And so uh in, in the Brave Movement context in New York City for me, it you know, we measure success absolutely by it was numbers, you know, and the amount of people we had coming into our studio, more people can hear at least the name of Jesus in our little what we sure. called uh Aloha time huddles is what we called them. And so the more people heard that, we felt like we were penny seats, we're more successful. Mm-hmm. And so that's how we measure that. That was our metrics. We said we need more people in our doors. We're going to dance. We're going to laugh with them. We're going to love on them and hopefully say the word Jesus a couple of times. Mm-hmm. Here at the Hills, um, it's different. So that's because we're in the Bible Belt, baby. Yeah. And a lot of people, <laughs> you sure are, yeah. you know, and that speaks into uh, my efforts in Anglo uh, culture, because especially in this Anglo culture, and this is a good thing, Seth, but, you know, a lot of our kids go to Christian schools. Right. They come from Christian homes. Yes. Uh, they hear the name of Jesus. I mean, in their, in their, they say the pledge to the flag of Texas. I mean, there's a lot of new things for me, Seth. I'm figuring it all out. Oh, Jesus but, is on every other billboard anyway. Exactly. So. <laughs> and so, you know, a, a lot of them. Uh, our students specifically have been, uh, this is a big word for me, desynthesized. Yeah. You know what I mean? To the, the feeling, the idea, the, the, uh, the wonder, the right. whimsy that is the fact that the creator of the world sent his son in flesh and bone to die for you. I mean, there's, ah, oh, yeah, it's just another Tuesday. Because they hear it in chapel at school. Right. And so for me, uh, to answer your question, um, man, if I can hear them say or see them move towards the direction of, doubt mm-hmm. and wonder again mm-hmm. it's success I, I know i know maybe the listeners like what are you saying yeah pastor hear me if our students continue to live their lives if our uh you know fellow christians in this culture in our church continue to live their lives as if they've arrived mm-hmm. or they've got it figured out uh i, I think i think we're failing in ministry mm-hmm. i think that's a really important <laughs> point I, I one of the other things that i'm convinced about is that within our our culture broadly in America, and you know, we're entering into sort of post Christendom, post religious, mm-hmm. you know, the, the religious nuns, N O N E S, yep. religiously unaffiliated people, now outnumber Catholics and Evangelicals combined as a social group. It's crazy. Um, and so I, I do think crazy. you know somebody might hear what you just said and respond with some anxiety. I, I don't hear that, but I also know you better. Mm-hmm. Talk to me about where that sweet spot is, where you say, okay, I, I want to make the gospel a little bit foreign. Mm-hmm. I want to open up more room for questions and for discovery and investigation, but I don't want to foster cynicism. Correct. Uh, I don't want to foster reactivity. Mm-hmm. Where's that sweet spot? How do you How do you get at it? Great question. So recently uh, we did a series here with our students. It was eight weeks long. And, and we called it CORE, C-R-O, or excuse me, C-O-R-E. And we honestly peeled back all the layers of Christianity and we mm-hmm. went to the core of it. And then we worked our way back up. And so literally said, I opened up the talk 
by having an apple and having an apple slicer and just ramming it and saying, <laughs> kind of taking out the core and saying, here's where we're starting. Before this apple was an apple, it was a seed. And, you know, yeah. and so we worked our way kind of from Genesis to Revelation in eight weeks uh, and hit those key moments of like, crazy. yeah, oh, whoa, well, you know, it was crazy. And, <laughs> and we actually did, uh, you know, podcasts like this to kind of cover some of the more profound study. And we also obviously turned – over some of the study to their small groups. And, you know, we absolutely delegated a lot of the, the weight of the content. But in those eight weeks, we spoke about big topics like the creation story, mm-hmm. you know, um, you know, the, the nativity scene, right? Jesus being born, right? Uh, in, infinite God entering finite space. I mean, we, we, we unpack that. We unpack the resurrection. I mean, we, we did those things, kind of those, those key cores of our faith. And, um, to answer your question, uh, the sweet spot is you want to peel back enough layers to where they unlearn some of the things that are just tradition and not Christian. Mm-hmm. Meaning, you know, it's so easy for us to get caught up in, uh, you know, I vote this way, I talk this way, I view things this way, because traditionally my family has identified this way. Sure. And if we're not careful, uh, we are praising and teaching um, how to live life as a uh, Anglo-conservative American as opposed to uh, a follower of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so that's the, the, the sweet spot. The, the tension is you want to stay true and study um, the principles and the way Jesus lived his life. For example, I'll give you one example and I'll be done. Jesus always hung out with sinners. Mm-hmm. He hung out with them. Tax collectors. I mean, a big part of his ministry, he wasn't uh, it wasn't event based. It wasn't come here and then let's do it. It wasn't in sure. rows. It wasn't circles. He lived among people. He tried. He wasn't afraid of being contaminated by the world. Mm-hmm. He his mission was to save it. Mm-hmm. And in order to save something, you got to be a part of it. And so for us as pastors here at this church, especially for me, uh, my my sweet spot is. Um, I want to encourage my students, uh, you know, if you go to Christian school, that's great. But look for people that don't agree with you. Look for people that are atheists and, and engage. And, yes, that may lead to some doubt and wonder and whimsy for you. But bring that to me. Let's talk about it. We'll, we'll flesh it out. Because if we stay in our Christian huddles, um, I think we are getting a uh, inaccurate version of Jesus. Yeah, I resonate a lot with that. Let me circle back around to, to the initial thing that you said in answer to what you wish you knew. You wish you knew about, uh, you know, ministry is hard to quantify. Yeah. Um, and, but, you know, you give your all and, and the spirit comes in and it adds a certain quality. It's hard to quantify. How do you stay motivated mm. to stay in the work um, in terms of it can be exhausting. Mm-hmm. It can, you know, at a certain point it can start to burn out if you don't stay pretty healthy and grounded. But what are the things that you look for and evaluate in terms of saying, I'm doing good work, this is worth worth continuing, Hmm. or my best practices really are my best practices, they're (laughs) not just what I feel comfortable with. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's great. How how do you self-evaluate in that that regard and stay motivated? I do three things. Uh, One, I have an incredible wife, and she is, uh, you know, as much of a pastor, if not more of a pastor than I am. I mean, she's an incredible, spirit-filled woman who um, encourages me, you know, leads me well uh, as I lead her. And, you know, she's absolutely someone that, you know, reminds me of what God's doing with our lives, which is very refreshing for me. It, it motivates me. It keeps me centered, uh, you know. And she's also the first one to say, man, like, 
you could have done better here, you know, mm-hmm. in this in this area of ministry, you know, we got to be better here. And so evaluation and, and uh, motivation come from my wife, which I think is incredible. But I think the second thing, too, is, uh, you know, find a hobby with non-Christian friends. Mm-hmm. Like I, I go to the gym and. And this isn't a video podcast, but listeners, <laughs> I'm yoked. <laughs> Just yeah, kidding. Me too, listeners. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Me and Seth, I mean, <laughs> golly. Anyway. No, I think that point's well taken, though, but say more about that. Why, yeah. Why is that important? Well, because for me, it's almost refreshing, right, where, you know, as a pastor, and I love it, I, I love my, 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 my Christian co-pastors, I love my... Uh, my adult leaders, I mean, I have good friends now after three years of, you know, kind of plowing at that. We've built a good community. Um, but what can happen in ministry specifically in any context, Seth, is we get so caught up in the the details and the nuts and bolts of doing our ministry well in the church mm-hmm. that we, too, forget that we are disciples that are to make disciples, too. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Outside of my student ministry... Yeah. I'm somebody that when I go to Walmart or Kroger or Trader Joe's or Central Market, I don't know how bougie you are, wherever you are on your supermarket preference, (laughs) we are on mission too. You know what I mean? And so when I'm in the gym, I don't just put my AirPods in and just, you know, like I look for people like, who can I spot here? Who can I engage here? And then hearing their view, their uh, worldview, their paradigm on on faith and and, uh, just meaning and purpose of life in general, uh, it's cool to to hear um, the Muslim perspective and dialogue a little bit. And, you know, obviously, for me anyway, I haven't converted somebody right there. Um, but just starting that conversation is super cool for me. It's refreshing. Cool. Yeah. You said there were three things. Yes. And the last thing, thank you, Seth, is, man, yeah, the, the third thing for me is uh, I've put myself, I've placed myself, uh, under pastors here on staff mm-hmm. that have been incredibly encouraging. I mean, our senior teaching pastor here at the Hills, Rick Ashley, uh, I've asked him multiple times to come into my office and look through sermons with me. Uh, as of late, we've been having a lot of uh, questions about the LGBTQ plus community and what, what's God's design for that and how do we respond as believers and does God love them? And you know, those questions, some are overwhelming and are, are bigger than me. And I have my view, but I want to hear from somebody older and wiser about what does the word say and how can we exegete. And so for me, uh, those questions do motivate me because, again, they fill me with wonder and whimsy and doubt that I was talking about earlier. But also I can sit under the Ricks and the Taters and the Davids, our campus pastors here, and say, can you teach me more? Because I don't think I'm qualified enough. Mm. And so that's been cool is to have people that say um, none of us are. Mm. But God makes us. God doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. So so that's been a big motivation. Yeah. No, that's that's all really good stuff, man. Thank you. Uh, so thanks for joining us again. Yeah. Today. Thanks for having me. And thank you for joining us on the Global City Mission podcast. You can learn more about GCMI at our website, globalcitymission.org, or you can visit us on our Facebook and Twitter.